0: We've seen both unprecedented levels of uh, of our estimates of central bank purchases, but unprecedented amounts of undisclosed central bank purchases as well. Why is that?
1: Welcome to the Gold Exchange Podcast, where we entangle market and policy complexity using timeless economic principles. For show notes and archives, go to goldexchangepodcast.com. Now, on to today's episode. Welcome back to the Gold Exchange Podcast. My name is Benjamin Adelstein. I'm joined by the founder and CEO of Monetary Metals, Keith Wiener, and our guest for today, John Reed of the World Gold Council. John, thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you very much, Ben. It's a pleasure.
1: John, why don't you quickly tell us a little bit about the World Gold Council, in case someone doesn't know, and what you do there?
0: Sure. Um, So the World Gold Council is a membership organization. We're owned by gold mining companies uh, from around the world, um, about 32 of them at the moment, although they keep merging and buying each other so that number does change frequently. Um, and we were set up in 1987 to develop the gold market to grow uh, demand for gold to improve access to gold, um, to write research uh, and strategy and collect data, etc. So I'm the market strategist at the World Gold Council responsible for Europe, and Asia. So that's only 13 time zones I get to cover. So mm. uh, I joke to people, my bonus this year will probably be air miles. So mm. I've, been in the, I've been in the gold industry now, um, actually, since 1986, just before the World Gold Council started. Um, a mining engineer, trained in London, worked in South Africa in the gold mines. I've been an equity analyst. I've been a commodity strategist. Um, I've been a portfolio manager at a hedge fund. And for the last six and a bit years, I've been uh, at the World Gold Council. So, John,
1: I'd like to ask you, before we get into gold and investing and all these other things that gold is a part of, can you maybe elaborate on some of the uses of gold? I know a lot of people believe gold doesn't really serve any practical purpose. It's, its value is completely arbitrary. What would you say to those people?
0: Well, I would say, first of all, I think they're completely wrong. I don't think gold is uh, arbitrarily priced. I think its its price is formed every day. In millions of transactions that take place around the world. Some financial in nature, some physical in nature, some for the jewellery industry, which still constitutes about 38% of net demand for gold on average over the last 10 years. Uh, It's valued by central banks, it's valued by individuals, uh, and it's valued by institutions. So I think it has a genuine role. Um, It's also essential for 21st century life. Uh, And we're talking over electronic communications. Every uh, chip microprocessor will have gold in it, and they don't use it for fun. You don't use things that cost two thousand dollars an ounce if you don't have to. You, you'd rather use silver or copper, but gold has a set of unique physical and electrical uh, properties, which means that it's used in electronics all the time. So, you know, industrial demand only makes up about seven percent of uh, of gold's demand, but society would be very much the weaker for it. If we didn't have gold,
1: Keith, I want to send it your way. A lot of people say gold, uh, just this kind of shiny relic that you know we used to love as cavemen, and yeah, maybe in the past we used gold as money, but you know it's pretty much useless nowadays. What would you say to those people?
2: It's funny. I just saw a show on um, watching this, this podcast. Very well done uh, by Paul Cooper called "The Fall of Civilizations." The Aztecs thought gold was the tears of the gods. I thought that was, I think they were, I think that's poetic and interesting. I think they were kind of literal about it. What would I say? I think economics has never really formally grappled with, they kind of dismiss the idea of hoarding. There's that airy you know, hand wave, um, but that's what monetary reservation demand is, right? When you ha- want to hold money is when you don't want to be a creditor. You either don't like the risks or you don't like the returns. And so you want to hold money and gold is that thing that is the best thing to hold uh people say well why not a basket of commodities okay imagine um you know hundred thousand dollars worth of oil so so what is that that's what 1300 barrels each barrel is what 50 gallons you what is that 60 70,000 that would be several residential swimming pools worth of oil imagine the oil trucks backing up to your front yard getting onto your driveway and busting up your curb running over your mailbox and saying where would you like all this oil delivered sir and meanwhile if that was gold You can hold a hundred thousand dollars of gold you, you know in your hand um gold is that thing that you want to hold if you don't like the risks and as we look at the banking system today um i think the risks are opaque the risks are bigger than most people think um and that's why there's been several so far and i think more are coming unless the monetary authorities take even more crazy action which amps up the risk in other ways but there's a lot of risk in the banking system. Well, what do you want to do if you want to opt out of that? Gold is the opt-out um, mechanism. Yeah, so you, d-
0: don't get, you don't get something that's established a, I don't know, 3,000 year history um, without having some pretty decent qualities. I mean, as you say, the, the, the value density, the fact that you can hold a substantial amount of value in one hand, and yet it's something which is pretty easy to value. People often say to me, What about diamonds? And I said, Well, to be frank, if you give me a, a set of scales and a bucket of water, I can pretty much be sure that that's gold. If you give me uh, a handful of diamonds, well, I, and I've spent a lot of time in jewelry shops through my career. I might be able to get within, I don't know, one or maybe two orders of magnitude of the value of those diamonds. And the other thing, if I, if I buy a diamond from a Diamantaire, never mind a jewelry shop, if I buy it today and sell it back tomorrow, I probably lose half of the value. So gold is unique and uh, its ability to be uh, to be hoarded, as you describe it, Keith, to be, to be, to be held. To, it's got extremely low storage costs as well. You can store gold um, at a big vault if you've got enough of it and pay, I don't know three, four basis points a year. If you look at the cost of storing other commodities, they're through the through the roof.
2: You know, um, it's interesting you say uh, 3,000 years. I know a lot of people in the gold space say 5,000 years. I always try to uh, be on the lookout for things that can kind of confirm dates mm. on the stuff. And so I came across an article recently. Um, it was about an archaeological find in Bulgaria. And um, they found some warrior king, clearly uh, arrayed out with all, he had a scepter and all kinds of things made of gold. It was like six kilos worth of gold in his grave. And so clearly they valued gold very highly. The date of this um, grave in the find, 6,500 years ago.
0: Mm, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, one of the problems about having a lot of experience is you think you've been around for ages, but even I haven't been around that long. It's cert- it's certainly <laughs> been many thousands of years. I think the first gold coin coin was, yeah, was
2: I mean, 600 BC.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So that, was,
2: that was when they put it into coin form, which standardized it more, but they certainly valued it and traded it and prized it highly long before then. And the cave shows at least 6,500 years ago, and there's no reason to think that that was the first time that anybody valued gold even then. No, I think so.
1: So I want to jump now to current day value of gold. So a lot of investors, a lot of financial institutions always say, hey, you should have some gold in your portfolio. So John, I want to ask you, should you have gold in your portfolio at all times? Or is this kind of a, a site-specific or time-specific asset to have in a portfolio?
0: I'd argue it's both. I mean, we would uh, make the case to investors that they should have a strategic allocation to gold at all times. Um, and that allocation depends what's in the rest of the portfolio, depends which country you're in, depends which benchmarks you're looking at. but typically somewhere between four and eight percent weighting in gold. Um, And we've got tools on our website which can help you determine, you know, based on what you're investing in, roughly what you what you should hold. Um, So that's the strategic allocation. You can of course have a tactical allocation on top of that as well. You can have a strong view that you think, for example, the US dollar is about to fall, um, or you've noticed that central banks have have Uh, started expanding their balance sheet massively, or M2 is growing really fast, all things that might make me think I'd increase uh, my tactical allocation to gold. So it's not either or, it's both. But I think the the strategic case for gold is particularly important, because what gold is very good at, in my opinion, is helping protect your portfolio from unexpected events. COVID-19, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, the mini banking crisis that Keith referred to just before. Nobody really expected those things to come. Maybe the Russia-Ukraine thing was a bit predictable, I suppose, but, but certainly the timing of it wasn't there. And in all three cases, gold went up. And that helped limit the losses in your, in your overall portfolio, and it reduced the volatility and the drawdown. So I think, I think they're good demonstrations of, of at least one reason why you want to have gold as a strategic component of your portfolio.
1: Keith, I want to send it to you. A lot of people say you should have gold in your portfolio. Uh, is, is there any argument as to why not to have gold in your portfolio? Or do you agree with John that the, a strategic allocation is important for all investors?
2: Well, I think if you're 100% confident in the Fed and its banking system, and you believe that macro prudential regulation can take uh, something that's inherently unstable and make it stable in perpetuity, then I guess you should go all in on the dollar. And not have any gold um, but if you have some difficulty swallowing that um i i think and i don't know what the percentage should be and i'm not uh licensed as a financial advisor but um i totally agree with john that uh you know there should be a, a component of the portfolio that's a strategic allocation to gold i do know that um every day every boardroom in zurich and geneva there are families that are planning intergeneral, you know, intergenerational wealth. Um, gold is always part of those trusts and arrangements that are being set up, um, and that's obviously not a tactical. You know, no one's trying to trade in and out of that. They're just saying, okay, well, you want to make sure that you know whether it's one percent or ten percent of the patriarch's wealth that he worked his whole career to produce. You want to make sure that that survives intact to uh you know two generations three generations out what is it that you can buy that you know that in 75 years 100 years from now will still have its value nothing i mean look at the city of san francisco right now you would have thought san francisco real estate is always going to be high well it's collapsing right now um so things come and go but gold gold is the economic constant
1: So I know a lot of people throw around these numbers. We've discussed them actually a little bit briefly just now. You know, 1% of your portfolio, 10% of your portfolio. And obviously, no one's a financial advisor. No one can say specifically for you, Ben, you should have X amount of gold in your portfolio. But maybe we can have a quick conversation. Do you think there's too much gold that someone can have in a portfolio? Uh, I I know I want to start with Keith. Is there an actual percentage or point where someone has too much gold?
2: well we all have dollar or you know maybe pound sterling um liquidity needs and uh you know if you put everything into gold the gold price drops you know you're going to be an unhappy camper and then you have to pay the mortgage you have to pay the rent you have to buy food um so in that sense you know at least whatever you need for three to six months of liquidity probably shouldn't be in gold um you know beyond that if someone said look basically I'm going you know it's almost like Atlas shrugged in a way I'm going on strike I don't believe in you know public equities at this moment I think real estate's crazy I certainly don't want to buy government bonds corporate bonds represent opaque risks to me right now what is it I'm going to hold uh it's going to be something tangible and if you really don't want to hold antique cars and old masters paintings or you're not in that in that league um and you talk about if you want to buy it and immediately sell it, the only thing worse than diamond surely would have to be artwork for that you know, 80% loss or whatever it would be if you bought it and immediately sold it. Um, you know, what's left. So I, I think there are people, uh in fact, I know people, I've spoken to people that would have 80%, let's say, in gold. Most don't. I, I think our average client monetary metals is single digits. Mm-hmm. Um, as most people are plugged into the Uh, the mainstream world. That's the world we have to live in, whether you like it or not. Most of us do like it, actually. Um, And so, you know, you have a bit of an allocation, but there's so many factors that go into it. I'd I'd be reluctant to say that's too much to any particular number. Certainly not what I would advise, but I'd be reluctant to judge somebody for it. John, I
1: want to send it your way. Do you think there's an allocation that may
0: be too high? there is an allocation that's too high. I don't know what that number is because it, it, it depends on certain circumstances. But one of the things that I would say is, one of the things I think almost the mission of the World Gold Council should be is to get investors to think about diversification. I, I hate the idea of putting all of your eggs in one basket. And I think that people, particularly uh, retail investors, do tend to be very... I don't know, committed to one stock or one sector, and they have all of their assets in that. I remember speaking to um, very successful tech entrepreneurs back in the original dot-com bubble, trying to say to them they should think about taking some of their extraordinary paper gains that they've made and diversifying it into gold, uh, some of it into gold. And again, talking about small, single digits, maybe 10% type allocations. I mean, if nothing else, it'll reduce the volatility of the things that they earn. Um, it, you know, and none of them did. And, and I think seven out of the 10 of them were bust a couple of years later. Okay, but they came back. Okay, hey, this is tech. That's, that's Silicon Valley. But, uh, but no, I think, I think that you can have too much gold. And think of it this way. Think of it um, in, in volatility terms. Gold does a really good job of increasing risk-adjusted returns of a portfolio because of its correlation characteristics. But it, is, it has a higher volatility historically than, say, government bonds. Everything does. If you only own uh, gold, your portfolio is going to be more volatile than one that would be more balanced between equities, bonds, um, and gold.
1: John, I, I want to touch on a point you mentioned there, which is the risk adjusted return mm. and how gold has this kind of uncorrelation to other assets. First, can you explain to the audience what is a risk-adjusted return for someone who wouldn't know? And then why does gold have this correlation or lack of correlation to other assets?
0: Sure. I mean, the risk-adjusted return effectively is saying that you can't just look at returns of a portfolio uh, alone. You've got to look at the returns compared to the volatility of the portfolio. So you can increase, you know, increasing the risk-adjusted return of the portfolio means you're getting more returns while at the same time take, uh, taking less risk. And that's got to be a win. Particularly if you're using leverage in a portfolio, it allows you to own more assets for a set, set amount of, of risk within that portfolio. So that, to me, is one of the holy grails of investing is increasing the risk-adjusted return of your portfolio. Now, you made a point about gold being uh, uncorrelated. And that's generally true. So it's uncorrelated to particularly equities in general. But if you look at how that correlation stands up during different circumstances, you get a very interesting um, effect. When stocks are rising rapidly, say more than two standard deviations in a week, uh, just looking at the S&P 500, then gold's got a small, modest, positive correlation to equities, which is what you want. Stocks going up, positive correlation, it probably means you're going up too. But when those... uh, S&P 500 equities fall by more than two standard deviations in a week, that correlation flips over negative. So in other words, you're now negatively correlated to an asset class, which is falling fast, which is exactly what you want. So the, char- the, the correlation characteristics of gold within a portfolio are extremely valuable. And I'd say they're basically unique. The only thing that we found that uh, exhibits the same characteristics is silver. But silver carries a much higher underlying volatility anyway, so it, it you know, it is a different proposition, I think, than, than investing in gold. But other than silver, nothing else has this flip over uh, in correlation characteristics, and it's that flip over that's helping you during these crash events, or cri- financial crises, or health crises over the past. Now- Keith,
1: I want to send it you. Keith, Can I set it your way really quickly? Why does gold have these correlations or lack of correlations? And John did a good job of explaining why these are so beneficial, but why gold? I mean, why not you know apple stock or um, oil or some other commodity?
2: So I call gold the economic constant. Um, we've been accumulating gold so far as we know for three thousand years or five thousand years or sixty five hundred years. Um, which means it has an extraordinarily high stock-to-flows ratio. Um, And um, what that means is that there's no such thing as a glut in gold and any other commodity. You know, let's say wheat, if if the wheat harvest comes in 1% higher than what the U.S. Department of Agriculture estimated it would be, then there's a glut and the wheat price could crash completely disproportionate. It wouldn't be a 1% drop in wheat. It could be a 20% drop. Uh, which is a strong disincentive to farmers to grow wheat, a strong incentive for users of starch to switch to wheat from whatever it is they normally prefer, um, until the glut is worked off. But there's no such thing as a glut in gold, which I argue means that the marginal utility, the value of the next unit of gold, is not diminished relative to the last unit. That is, the n plus one unit of gold is valued the same as the nth, which gives it uniquely a constant marginal utility that's what it's one of the properties you'd expect money would have and so you know sort of revisiting the is there too much gold in a portfolio from this you know looking at through this lens gold is the constant it's the currencies that are going down and up not gold that's going up and down really um and so if you just want to hold your own say okay and and just I was just thinking about tech entrepreneurs and I was one right I sold the tech company in 2008 right before the boss it was august 19th of 2008. um you know you had 40 you know a bunch of things happen and um you, you know suddenly you know it's not just time preference it's your whole life priorities you're like it's more important that i preserve what i have rather than try to maximize the upside that i could get 10x more you want to make sure that i don't lose you know what i have and i, I know plenty of tech entrepreneurs that made a fortune lost a fortune made another fortune and uh there's a tendency outside of that world for everybody to say, oh, that's normal. Uh, well, for the people that are going through it at the time that they're suffering the loss, it's anything but normal. It's, it's calamity.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, and, um, you know, some people have a, a gambling, um, you know, mindset uh, and, and they're OK with it, I guess. But, um, you know, gold is that thing when you want it, when you want to de-risk. How much de-risking do you want to do? Well, it depends on how old you are and your goals in life and how much you have. And you know, if you're 21 years old and you have ten thousand dollars um, you know, maybe putting 100 percent in that gold is appropriate if it's absolutely important that you preserve that over the next five years because you have a a goal in mind, or maybe you want to bet that on something that has an extremely high beta. And um, you, you know, you at 21, you can always make more. You're not at the end of your career, you're at the start you have greater earnings potential ahead of you than you have behind you, obviously. So maybe you don't uh, buy any gold at 21 because you're just trying to um, you know, maximize growth at that stage. Um, and I don't know if I answered the question, but uh, uh, those are the thoughts that pop into my head.
1: If, if I could come in there, I mean,
0: agreeing with Keith, but the other thing I think about it is, is gold's a counterweight. To the rest of assets in your portfolio as well. And pretty much everything else in your portfolio on the equity or equity-like risk characteristic side um, is, is about growth. It's about positivity, it's about trust, it's about expectations of good things happen, good things happen. And when something happens to make those assumptions change, people retreat. To the other side of their portfolio, which is gold. Now, look, one of the big things that's happened in um, in the last forty years mm-hmm. is people have been using equities for growth, bonds for income and diversification. I think one of the most interesting things about the market sell-off last year was the uh, the breakdown in this negative correlation between bonds and equities, because that mm-hmm. certainly means what you have in your portfolio to protect yourself against losses didn't work. And may not work as well going forward, because if you look at long run correlations uh, between bonds and equities, they're not always negatively correlated. They just happen to have been so in the last 40 years when we were in just adjusting from a high inflation regime to a no inflation regime, um, you know, after Paul Falker choked uh, inflation out of the US economy. Now, I'd argue things have changed a lot now. Um, you know, I I think that the the global economy is going to struggle not to get inflation high enough, which most economies have done in the last decade or so. They're going to struggle to get inflation low enough. It doesn't mean they won't do it, but that's going to be the difficult, that's the challenge that central bank's going to be having is is nailing down inflation, not pumping it up. And I think that could be in a very different role for gold uh, in portfolios um, over the next few decades. And I just think it's our job to get out there and tell people Um, of the merits of gold because I don't think they think about gold enough and also not necessarily in the right way as well.
2: Well, John, I'm I'm sure you must have some data on this, but it seems to me, and I can say this as both an American, I'm putting down my own in a way, and somebody who who spends a lot of time in other countries, I think Americans understand gold the least of uh, of any culture in the world, um, in part because... We live in a dollar bubble and americans we live in a bubble of our own making and we kind of like it that way and so you know gold oh, what's that who cares um and partly we've never had a currency crisis in the united states the worst we ever had it was the late 1970s and if you talk about you know what was the infl- the official inflation rate i think was 15 percent or something like that and I'm, I'm sure the fans of shadow stats or whatever would say it was higher but you, know, you go to any, most any other country in the world and you tell them 15 or 20% inflation, they'd be like, in a year? Oh, that's cute. You think that's bad? Um, so Americans have never really had a reason
0: to question the soundness of the currency. Um, well, so- th- th- think of it this way. During most Americans' entire life, the dollar has been the reserve currency of the world. When you're in that position, I think you tend to think about alternatives to your currency in different ways, and as you say, the Americans haven't blown their currency up um, like many other countries did. I mean, in contrast, uh, I think Germans and Northern Europeans, Northern continental Europeans in general, really get gold. Yeah, because of the hyperinflation that that, that we saw uh, in the twenties in Germany. Because of the um, the replacement of the current of the uh, of the Reichsmark with the Deutsche Mark after the Second World War, citizens there are both extremely sensitive to inflation and extremely cautious about anything that will devalue the currency. Which is one of the reasons why the euro has been such a, a, a political bun fight um, over the last decade through the global financial crisis. So Germany has been one of the most important uh, physical buyers bar on coin investors, it's small investment bar on coin uh, investors in the world. And I've described it to people. It's like it's kind of almost the perfect market. You've got lots of different ways that you can buy gold there. You've got exchange traded funds that, that are there. You've got you've got this established um, network of bar and coin um, outlets where you can get exposure to gold. So, uh, you know, when, when we think of market development and trying to get the world uh, more access to and more understanding to gold, we, we look at Germany as saying, wow, that's a, that's a great country. What I would say, though, with, with my experience of travelling around many countries, there are countries that understand gold less than uh, the United States. Uh, and I'd say that's the UK because ownership here was banned for a lot longer um, than it was uh, in the US. And there is very little culture of investing in gold physical gold assets in the UK. You don't see the the chains of gold um, investment shops uh, to anywhere near the extent you'd see them on continental Europe.
1: John, I want to ask about some specifics here, specifically two questions. First, when you guys say gold, does that apply to all types of gold? Do people buy certain styles like coins or bars as investment gold? Um, Do people get exposure through ETFs or through paper gold? And does it matter if this gold is bought in a certain country of origin, or is all gold the same? John, I want to bring it to you.
0: Yeah, it's a good question, really. I mean, in general, I would argue that all gold, whether whether it's in physical form, or whether it's an investment product of certain types, and I'll come back to that. It, it, you know, the, what the study we do is on the gold price. You know, it's not about the price of coins. It's not about the price of ETFs, etc. It's on. It's only the London um, reference price, the auction price. When I'm thinking about a gold product that I'm comfortable recommending to people, and we don't talk specific products, but they do ask me their opinions, as you've just done now, I want something where I can trust Um, the purity. I can trust that what I'm getting is what I think it's getting. So I want to buy a branded small bar or coin um, from a retailer that I trust. I want to buy an exchange-traded fund which vaults uh, its gold and doesn't lend it out again. So it's a physically-backed exchange-traded fund. I don't want to have an unallocated metal account. I don't, in other words, I've got claims on my bank already for my modest cash savings that I use for my three to six months of cash requirements, as Keith required before. So I've got exposure to bank failures um, through that uh, savings account. I don't want to magnify that by having an unallocated gold account. So if I want an investment product uh, in gold, I want it either physically and look, I'm not sure I want to store too much value in my house, so maybe I'd have that as an allocated account or a safety deposit box, either as a physical gold coin, which is mine, or as, a, uh, as part of a perhaps a collective custody um, scheme, or maybe even if I was rich enough, a pile of gold bar sitting, uh, uh, sitting at one of the vaults uh, in the good delivery system. I don't have that, by the way, much as I'd like to.
1: Keith, I want to send it your way. Uh, maybe you can talk about monetary metals for a sec, and some other types of gold 2.0 companies and ways to invest or think about gold that either most people don't know or that they should know.
2: Yeah, I was going to say the um, the point that John alludes to is that you really don't want to have that much valuable stuff at home. I mean, you you know, you become not only a, a risk of uh, fire, flood, and those sorts of things, but home invasion. I know somebody who um, was woken up at three in the morning by a guy with a black ski mask shoving a gun in his face and says, I know you have gold. Now unlock your safe or I'm going to blow your brains out. And um, so I think everybody should have a little bit of gold at hand on the sock drawer, as it were, but, you know, not that much. So you look at safety deposit boxes. Um, I know that our own Jeff Dice just put out something on the risks and safety deposit boxes, especially the ones that the bank's. Um, at least in the US, I, I don't know what the political situation might look like in uh, the UK or Europe or in Asia. Um, and, um, you know, as, as John alludes, the problem with um, an unallocated account of a bank is you're an unsecured creditor. And I think uh, you know, with gold, you don't really want to be an unsecured. I mean, the whole point of owning the gold is not to be is to be, to be not in the position of an unsecured creditor. And the big ETFs do have this challenge that there's custodians and subcustodians. I read through all that language years ago, and it's not clear to me what would happen if there was a massive failure of um, you know somewhere in that chain. What exactly would happen to the end holders of these? Um, I think they're actually technically exchange traded notes. If I'm if I'm correct on that, they're ETNs,
0: aren't they? No, and um, it depends. It depends country to country how they're actually referred to exchange traded products is probably the the best generic term for them you can't use the word fund in europe unless it's of a specific structure but uh i've 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 heard and read on the blogosphere these various things about uh custodians and subcustodians and 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 that being used as a way for people to say that they're they're concerned about etfs but um i've been associated with etfs you know well actually since they first started when i was at ubs when um, when we were advising, actually, the World Gold Council about uh, about gold ETS. And, uh, you know, I'm comfortable that that, that that they are what they say they are and uh, uh, and, and that the risks in event, that they're bankruptcy remote in, in, in the event of failure. So I, I, I'm not concerned by that person.
2: You think they are um, bankruptcy remote? Yeah. Um, well, that's good. I, I'm definitely with you that there's a lot of rumours that float around about they don't actually have the gold and they're cheating.
0: I don't yeah, we inspect we inspect the ones that we're responsible for um every 3 months I think it is I mean, it's also third party inspected and audited so uh again you know I'm uh, uh uncomfortable with the, that they are what they say they are so I
2: was gonna say, I'm going to say I'm not a big fan of theories that say that the way the world operates is simple and obvious fraud I think there's a lot of bad things going on but it isn't that sort I mean if if somebody is saying that um, you know, if you send us money, we buy the gold and stick it here, and they're a major uh reputable party, then they're doing that. And the risks are more like counterparty risk. Are you a general unsecured creditor? Those are the sorts of problems, not not, not that um that they're cheating in the in, in sort of fraudulent sense. Um obviously what monetary metals we do, and there is risk, it isn't zero, but um they uh the owner of the gold retains the title and we lease it out. Now in the financial markets, leasing is a term that uh, certainly in the gold community developed a lot of bad reputation around that. And, and I think a lot of gold people think that leasing means that you're selling it and hoping to buy it back at a lower price, like a short selling scheme. Um, what we're doing is providing physical inventory um, for jewelers and refiners and you know companies in the trade. And uh, that allows the Uh, Our clients who are the lessors to to own physical gold, retain the title to it, um, as long as they're comfortable with a change in form, let's say in a a refiner, uh, as it goes through a cycle, and then getting a return on that. Um, But I think that if people were to say, okay, if gold is supposed to be your hedge against the end end of the world, why would you give up your stash, um, to use an American slang expression, um, stash, why would you give that up in exchange for a little bit of return? I think the answer that I would give is, well, you wouldn't. If you have a certain amount of gold that's your hedge against that sort of uh scenario, no, that's what you'd keep. It's the entire rest of the portfolio that we'd be competing to displace. What do you what do you have in stocks and bonds? And are you entirely comfortable with the risks that those represent? You know, to John's point earlier, uh if stocks are falling, then bonds are supposed to be rising, right? That's But, you know, the universe is supposed to guarantee that practically, (laughs) um, you know, at least since 1981. And, um, uh, you know, certainly in the last, what, 18 months, that has not been the case uh, at all. They've both been going down. Um, So, um, you know, if if you want to opt out of that, but you want to get some sort of return, then leasing the gold is... uh, you, so so we're making that accessible John I don't, I don't know if you know our model but we're making that accessible
0: I, I know I, I know a little bit of it um I mean you, mu- you must be taking on some credit risk though to get that return because gold think, in itself, gold in itself doesn't offer a return unless you're taking on uh, additional it's risk. not a,
2: it's not a credit risk but there is definitely a physical risk we're putting the gold in the hands of a third party it could be a refiner or jeweler there's always the possibility that somebody misplaces it or makes a mistake and ships it to the wrong address Um, or steals it and there's a lot of diligence that we do and a lot of insurance and a lot of other things but there is no such thing as a risk excuse me a return without a risk anybody who promises that is a fraudster and you should run fast and far um but um we obviously think that uh um you know the risk is is uh controlled and understood and mitigated and compensated for in the form of interest. But you know, without without turning our own horn, you know, the question was okay. What are the what are the various means of, of owning it? And I think for that strategic allocation, you want to make sure that's physical, and you know, it's either in a, in a vault that's reputable, you know, it's yours and it's not unallocated, or that you have it in some safe. Some people may live in a rural location where they have a safe buried in the backyard or something like that, and they feel that's extremely low risk. Um, others may, you know, it has to be in a Brinks account somewhere. Um, but, uh, you know, it's obviously, I believe in the monetary health product as well.
1: So John, I want to kind of go through a quick rapid fire section. So you can answer these questions if you want with one word, uh, with a short sentence or two, or if you'd like to really expound and and tell people what you think, obviously, uh, you know, let the machine guns blaze. So Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll start with you. Uh, Keith, though, how much gold do you think is out there and are we running out of gold?
2: Well, the idea of running out is, as I said earlier, there's no such thing as a glut. There's no such thing as a shortage either. Gold can become relatively scarce to the market. We measure that in in the basis, Um, or you'd see it in the the forward rate, Um, as how the conventional world would look at it. How much gold is out there? Well, I do, uh, John, as I'm sure you know, take a a bit of a quibble to any estimates of how much gold is there, because I just don't think you can inventory it. I think it's been mined uh, for at least 6,500 years, according to this archaeological dig, probably going back longer than that. Um, And uh, it's always been the kind of thing that people hide from their governments and from their nosy neighbors. And whenever I tell the story, I always talk about. I'd say when i meet people in their office there's always that safe that's sitting in the corner and i don't feel it's my place to ask what's in the safe show me open and, and i know i notice it, but i don't say anything And i'm talking about that people are very secretive about their gold and sometimes they don't tell their family they don't tell their kid until they're on their deathbed and so i'm in this guy's office um and uh he's in the gold i, I want to say he was uh, like a cash a big cash for gold aggregator. Had a small little induction furnace just to melt it down, make uniform, uh bars. And there was, you know, there there was everything from fillings to, you know, scrap jewelry, whatever. There was palladium in there, uh, and gold and silver and whatever. And um, anyway, he'd be selling this off to the refiners every couple of months. Anyways, he kind of, you know, points to the safe over there and he says, Um, you see that safe over there? And I said, Yeah. He said, Um, my son don't know what's in there, doesn't know about it. He said, Right now he's uh you know he's partying and chasing tail and and uh he'll find out in due course, but he said there's a lot of gold there, and he kind of looks at me over his bifocals I mean a lot of gold there and um it's so, okay and and that was his confirmation to that you know this defies in, any kind of stock take or inventory um I know you guys estimated about two hundred thousand tons um there's no way to know my gut feeling is that's probably a multiple of that. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because of how long it's been accumulated and how much people hide it. Uh, no I mean, way let, to me, know.
0: let me explain that number. I mean, it's about 210,000 tons now, but uh, it is an estimate. Uh, and we recognize uh, that it is wrong because by definition, you can't know what we don't, we don't even know when it was started to be valued, as we were talking before. 6,500 years or 7,500 years ago. But... One of the things that, that we can be reasonably confident on is that so much of the gold that has been mined has been mined within the last fifty years. Uh, actually, fifty. no, let's go back to let's go back to to let, let's go back to say, for example, the discovery of gold in South Africa, and I think it was eighteen eighty six or eighteen eighty seven. I mean, if you look at estimates of global gold production by year, it just exploded at that point so much gold came out of South Africa, and it was pretty carefully um, measured, even right from the beginning as well, because it was, of course, taxed. Um, So I think we're, you know, that 210,000 tons, could it be 250,000 tons? Possibly. Could it be much less than 210,000 tons? Uh, It might be 200,000 tons. That would be my error range on it. I just don't think the ancients were pulling that much gold out of the ground that it really wasn't being found. When i visited gold mines that were active during Roman times or during ancient Egyptian times, mm-hmm. they were small by comparison to the sort of production that we're getting now. So now, I'm, 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 there, there are numbers that I'm less confident about. Mm-hmm. If I had to be honest, um, that we produce things like recycling of gold, uh, how much gold gets recycled each year? Because that is a really hard number to try and estimate. Because as you were describing with your uh, your cash for gold aggregator. There's lots and lots of those out there. And in some countries, they operate below the radar. So that's always a number I'm a little bit uncertain with. But uh, total gold production, yeah, I'm I'm more comfortable with that one than I am with some others.
1: Okay, John, I want to jump now to the next rapid fire question, which is, what do people tend to buy if they sell their gold? So they sell their gold, they have all these profits in in dollars. What do you think people tend to buy with that?
0: Well, recently, bonds, believe it or not. One of the big things that we've seen is some decent-sized physical profit-taking in, in investment bars out of the German market I referred to earlier. Um, and best we can understand, it was people who bought gold because they weren't prepared to buy German government bonds at a negative nominal real, not, not real, but a negative nominal yield, because they, they just refused and put some decent-sized allocations into gold, and I think with the way that interest rates have changed now and the fact that the gold price in euro has gone up so much, we're seeing a fair amount of profit taking um, in that market. And I think it's going into fixed income products. I think the other thing I'd say as well, we, we monitor uh, flows around exchange-traded funds very closely um, it, because from our perspective, they're great products. They disclose how much gold they've got every day. Pretty much all of them do. And the ones that don't at least dis- disclose it every month Um So we can see what's going on, whether it's North American funds buying, whether it's European funds buying, whether it's high cost funds, which are large and liquid, or whether it's low cost funds, which tend to be bought by buy and hold uh, investors. Anyway, one of the things that has surprised me quite a bit in the market uh, in the last six months, we saw gold bottoming at about $1,600 an ounce at the beginning of November 2022. And it traded up by the end of January 23, just shy of $2,000 an ounce. Okay, went higher later. But that was a decent run, almost $400 uh, an ounce uh, increase in price in the space of a few months. Global ETF uh, holders were still selling uh, throughout uh, November, December, January, and February. And that really surprised me. And I think it's nominal interest rates that are doing it. You can get, as you know, sitting in America, you can get, what, 5 5.5% five on T-bills? Yeah, there are there are people in the market that have never seen those sorts of interest rates on T bills before. I mean, some of us are older, aren't we, Keith? But uh, but yeah, but, you know, twenty years or so of well, maybe not twenty, certainly fifteen years of virtually zero interest rates. Yeah, it's uh has competition for gold. I
2: gave a talk once um, that was uh, mostly uh, we were working with another company and they were mostly doing the logistics and the organization. And it was their office manager who, you know, with all the phone calls and making sure the catered lunch came in and their name badges were printed and all that stuff. And I was talking about um, at that time saying there's no interest to be had and therefore young people have no real means of attaining retirement. Because, you know, when I started my career, they said set aside 10 percent of your salary, put that into like three month bank CDs. And when you turn 65, you'll have whatever, you know, the nest egg was supposed to be. But like 80 to 85% of that was the compounding of the interest. Only 10 or 15 was the actual raw set aside of your wage. And I was talking about this. And anyway, she came up to me afterwards. She said, I never thought about, I've, basically my entire adult life, I've never seen interest or an interest rate in a bank. I never thought about it before until your talk. And I was like, wow, this is, you know, she is a millennial and she was probably 18 or 16 when the um, financial crisis hit. And her her whole adult world has been one of no interest. Hmm. And um, I, I actually agree with you. I think um, uh, you know buying actually long dated government bonds is probably a screaming deal right now because I think we're going to revert um, with a, with a bang, not a not a slow slide, but I think violently revert to a falling interest rate environment again, which means rising bond prices. Not um, that I would say. To anybody sell your gold to do this, mind you, but I, I do think that uh the government bond, I think the the German bonds are gonna go negative yield again, and the Swiss government bonds and in the US government bonds are gonna continue their slide at, at a higher, you know, at a higher level as, as they have long been, but continue their slide in yields, which means rise in in prices, but um that's a whole other macro uh conversation.
1: A lot of people are saying central banks are buying gold like crazy. And something that I saw you noted was that in some ways, they're not exactly reporting it as much as uh, people would like or they would report some other buys. Can you maybe explain to people without, you know, a conspiracy theory, why are central banks buying gold and why are they trying not to report it?
0: Okay, so we record central bank purchases in two ways. Every month we produce a report, which is what central banks say that they have bought and sold in the disclosures they make to the IMF. Uh, So our monthly report uh, actually came out yesterday um, talking about the April uh, uh, changes because there's always a bit of a lag. But the other thing we do is once a quarter, we produce a document called Gold Demand Trends, and that has an estimate of overall net central bank activity. It includes, obviously, the stuff that's disclosed to the IMF, but it also, in, but it also includes transactions that we uh, believe to have taken place. In other words, estimates of what's going on in the market that's unreported. Now, normally, and I, look, I was looking back through the data series the other day, uh, normally, I would say 75 80% of the, uh, of the change in central bank holdings is reported to the IMF, and the, the, there's only a small component of unreported selling or buying. Um, But since the second half, well, since the middle of last year, so basically the last three quarters, we've seen both unprecedented levels of of our estimates of central bank purchases, but unprecedented amounts of undisclosed central bank purchases as well. Now, (coughs) excuse me, why is that? Well, I know why, well, we think we know why central banks are buying gold because we we conduct a survey every year of the central banking community. We published it last week uh, for this year and we asked them anonymously. So they we don't know who said what, we just know whether they're an emerging market central bank or a developed market central bank. Anyway, so we've got, we've got some decent ideas about why they why they're buying gold and collectively what their intentions are and what their expectations are for the entire central bank community. So we kind of know that. Um, I don't know why there are purchases that are going on that are unreported to such a degree. I mean, one part of it, when we talk central banks, we're talking central banks plus sovereign wealth funds as well. And sovereign wealth funds don't generally tell you what they're doing. So there is always an element of estimation that takes there. And my suspicion is, is that many of these sovereign uh, wealth funds are powered by, uh, by hydrocarbon sales. And volumes and value of hydrocarbon sales last year was high. So they had more money to, um, to invest. And uh, that could be part of, the, part of the reason for it. The other thing is, though, is that if you're a central bank sitting on hundreds of billions of dollars of foreign exchange reserves, maybe trillions of dollars of foreign exchange reserves, there's some very big ones out there. If you want to buy a lot of gold, maybe you don't want to tell the market you're doing so or you're going to do so. I do remember when the European central banks were selling gold um, through the 90s and the 2000s, they would announce in advance that they were going to sell it. Gordon Brown. Um, And then looked with consternation as the gold price um, slipped ever lower. Um, You don't have to transact like that if you don't want to. And look, central banks report their monetary gold. In other words, the gold that they're holding in the reserves as part of their international reserves. They often have other accounts as well. Some central banks provide liquidity in gold to the domestic market to mismatch, you know, when there's a mismatch between buying and selling and you've perhaps got a closed capital account and imports are difficult to come in and out. So they have other accounts too. And then the other thing they could do, of course, is transfer gold from one of their non-monetary accounts to their monetary accounts. And then bizarre, that would be a our, our holdings of gold have gone up and we've seen that from central banks in the past. But the short answer is, I don't know. Uh, my suspicion is that it's because they're probably wanting to buy a lot.
1: Keith, I want to send it your way. Central banks have been buying gold. There's a lot of different ideas being thrown out there. I'd like to hear Keith Wiener's idea as to why central banks are buying gold.
2: I mean, there's so much I could say about that, but um, in short format, you know, if you're a central bank, uh, let's say in an emerging market country, your challenge is that the asset side of your balance sheet may largely be, um, you know, dollars and 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 dollar derivatives like euros, and the liability side is your local currency. If the asset side is going down, if you think that the dollar and or the euro are going to go down, um, that's going to be a real struggle for you, uh, threatening your solvency ultimately if that happens to a great enough degree, and so you may turn to something like gold. Either because it's non-correlated and therefore safer, or because it's negatively correlated and you think if the dollar is going to go down, then gold's going to go up and it's, it's a nice counterbalance. So it's a um somewhere between greed for gains and um you know fear of losses and and risk mitigation and hedging. Um and you know, we're, we're in an environment where the markets are gonna be particularly unkind to particularly uh, emerging market central banks. If they get it wrong, um, they're toast and, uh, you know, that can lead to social unrest and revolution and heads rolling in the street. I mean, it can lead to really, really bad things. So what do you do? You know, you talk with uh, El Presidente and El Presidente it says, don't let our currency go down. And you're like, right, sir, I, I won't do that. Now you go back in your desk and what do you do? Well, buy gold might be on the shopping
0: list. Right. I absolutely. Think- I think there's other, and I completely agree with Keith. I think that's very well put. Um, there are other issues as well, particularly when it comes to central banks. There is always a political dimension to what a central bank holds in its foreign exchange reserves. And we have been hearing from many central bank governors, from many El Presidente, as you describe them, talking about wanting to reduce the, the role of the dollar in the global economy or our dependence upon the dollar for funding, financing, raising debt, et cetera. And I think that is all contributing at the margin because to be frank, if you want to diversify away from developed market currencies, um, you don't have a huge amount of great choices, whether it be for liquidity, whether it be for, uh, for capital controls, whether it be for potentially trust of the rule of law. Um, so I'm not saying that people are gonna sell all their dollars and all their euros and put it into gold, but at the margin that does seem to be taking place.
2: That's where there was a there was a funny article about um so-called bilateral trade between russia and india and it was like russia got caught now with some rupees and, and with the capital controls they can't get it out they can't trade it for anything and modi's like you know sorry uh, and uh it's exactly that uh, you know what do you, what are you going to hold as an asset if it's not dollars then what and I argue at length and in many, many articles, there's no other paper currency that can replace the dollar. Nothing comes remotely close, but there's one thing that can, and it's a shiny, heavy yellow metal. And, um, we're seeing that at the margin. Well, in a way, that's a good thing because, well, maybe we discover starting the, the steps, the baby steps to rediscover, um, you know, monetary, uh, we'll just say rectitude and leave it at that.
1: So John, before we go, uh, I do have one more question, but I wanna ask you first, where can people read more of the World Gold Council's uh, stuff that you've put out, all of these papers that you've written, a lot of these stats that you guys have, where can people read more John Reed and more World Gold Council?
0: Sure, I mean, the short answer is we have a website which all of this information is on for free called gold.org, or you can just Google Gold Hub and all of that information is there. If you're a user of social media, um, many of us uh, at the World World Council maintain LinkedIn accounts. Uh, I probably do most most of my communication via Twitter. Uh, Weird place that it can be sometimes. Um, It is a good way of getting instant uh, thoughts and communication out there. So look me up by my handle and uh, and I apologize for the the sarcasm and occasional swearing.
1: (laughs) Okay, apology noted. So final, Question for you, John, which is what's a question that I should be asking all the future guests of the Gold Exchange podcast?
0: Hmm, It's a good question. I would ask them what proportion of their assets are in gold. And if the answer comes back, and I don't know whether you're just going to be talking to gold enthusiasts or not, but if the answer comes back as less than 5%, Ask them why they don't own more.
1: John, I want to thank you so much for coming on the Gold Exchange Podcast. I'll be asking everyone about their gold holdings from here on in. Maybe you can comment if you'd like to, uh, what you think people should own as a percent of their portfolio. John, thanks so much. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Gold Exchange Podcast.
0: Thank you very much, Ben. Great to talk to you, Keith.
2: You
1: too. This episode was brought to you by Monetary Members. Monetary Metals is a different kind of gold company. Others buy and sell gold. Monetary Metals operates the Gold Yield Marketplace, a platform of products that offer a yield on gold, paid in gold, to investors and institutions, and our gold financing simplified, reliable financing, denominated in gold, with a built-in hedge for gold-using and gold-producing businesses. To learn more, visit www.monetary-metals Com. See you next time!